As we take our seats, can we turn to God's precious word for our scripture reading? And we're turning together to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and the chapter 12. The book of Genesis and the chapter 12. I'm coming here to read of an episode in the life of Abram. Genesis chapter 12 and the verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land onto the place of Sechem, onto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord. And called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the ninth verse. And may the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. As we take our seats, I would like to give a very warm welcome today to our visiting speaker, our brother, Mr. Jonathan Eccles. He is going into his fourth year at the Whitfield College of the Bible, and as part of your fourth year study, uh, you have to be placed in a congregation for some practical experience. And so we're very glad to have our brother Jonathan joining with us, God willing, in September. But he will be here at some of the services over the summertime by way of introduction. So we're glad to have our brother today, and we trust that the Lord will bless him as he ministers God's word to us. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you here in uh, Hillsborough, and can I just take this opportunity to thank uh, the session of the church uh, for the opportunity to come and to serve the Lord among you this year on whatever capacity um, and to get uh, that practical experience. 
and I am looking forward uh, to coming here and uh, to getting to know people. Uh, one of the things I enjoy when I go around all the churches preaching is uh, getting to know people. Uh, I enjoy the fellowship and I enjoy a bit of crack as well. And um, I'm sure you'll get on with me just fine. I used to work in the Lesburn area, and one of the things people in the Lesburn area struggled with was the Ulster Scott accent. So you can imagine the confusion when I phoned the client and told them that I would be with them in a queen of minutes. Uh, they didn't understand what that meant, so I had to translate it for them and say, I'll be with you in five minutes. So if you can understand the Ulster Scott accent, and if you don't support Manchester United, then we will go on uh, very well over the next number of months. Uh, but I am thankful, and I do hope uh, that I can be useful and that I can do a work for God here in the short time I'll be here. We'll open God's Word at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And with God's Word open before us, we'll bow in prayer and we'll seek his face and ask for his blessing upon his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for all of thy goodness and all of thy grace. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word. And Lord, we thank thee that thy word can penetrate into the very depths of the human heart, Lord, it can reveal things to us which the words of man can't. And Lord, I pray that thou would bless the preaching of thy word now. Father, we realize that there are many saints who have gathered today, and some are going through troubles and trials. Some, Lord, are going through illness, Lord, physical illness, mental illness. Lord, some are perhaps cold at heart. Some need a word of direction. Some need a word of encouragement, Lord. The knees deathward, but we thank thee, Lord, that there is... Uh, that there can be a word in season from thy word. And I pray, Lord, that thou would speak to each and every one today, that thou would grant the word in season. Lord, that we would all leave thy house encouraged uh, through thy word and encouraged in God our Savior. Heavenly Father, do remember those who are gathered who are not saved. Lord, show them their sin before God. Show them their need of Christ and their need of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that thou would speak to them and draw them to thyself. Lord, in everything that's said and done now, may God's name be glorified, and may the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up. We pray in our Savior's holy and his precious name. Amen. Amen. Apart from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you could argue that Abraham is perhaps the most important person in the entire Bible. As we examine the New Testament, we are presented with the importance of the life of Abraham as it is revealed to us in Holy Scripture. For example, in order to explain the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the Apostle Paul devotes an entire chapter in the book of Romans referring to God's dealings with Abraham. He, he devotes two chapters in the book of Galatians to show people that you can't be saved by good works, that you can only be saved by faith in Christ. As you read of Abraham in Hebrews 11, a lengthy paragraph is devoted to displaying Abraham's faith and the outworking of that faith in his life. But added to this, Scripture traces the history of redemption back to Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, we read of Christ's genealogy. 
And it begins with Abraham. And in that chapter, Christ himself is referred to not only as a son of David, but as a son of Abraham. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's prophecy declares that the, uh, the birth of Christ was God's fulfillment of a covenant made with Abraham. It says there to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore unto our father Abraham. He's an important man in the Bible. And although Abraham's life is important, in a doctrinal sense, I think for us as Christians, his life, uh, in, in a practical sense, is important also. Because in Genesis 12, we read of the beginning of Abraham's life of faith. This is where this blessed life of faith, which serves as an example to us, begins. And I believe that there are lessons we can learn from the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. And it's with these thoughts in mind, and taking verses 1 to 3 as our text this morning, that I want you to consider this topic with me of Abraham's first encounter with God. Abraham's first encounter with God. I want you to see firstly that there was a divine prerogative. Now what do I mean by that? I mean very simply that God was pleased to and he willed to speak to Abraham personally. Look at Genesis chapter 12 and the verse 1. It says there, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, I gave Abraham a pretty good introduction. And now I give you what is a total contrast concerning Abraham because uh, the very words in verse 1 reveal to us uh, that he wasn't initially a man of great faith. In fact, I would suggest that we are presented very graphically with the opposite. And why is that? A few chapters back in Genesis chapter 6 in the verse 5, what does the Lord say when he looks down upon the earth? It says there, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God looked down upon the earth, and all he saw was evil. And that didn't change in Abraham's day. When God looked down upon the earth, his conclusion would have been no different. And that includes Abraham. And further to that, there is strong scriptural evidence to suggest that Abraham himself, before this encounter with God, was engaged in idol worship. For example, in Joshua chapter 24 in the verse 2, Joshua says to the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nachor, and they served other gods. He also says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Now these verses don't explicitly state that Abraham was an idol worshipper. But the inference is there. And this is why I have stressed concerning Abraham's first encounter with God that there was a divine prerogative. It wasn't that God searched the earth for faith and he found a little faith in Abraham and then spoke to him on that basis. It wasn't that God saw righteousness in Abraham and then decided that he would approach and spoke to Abraham on that basis, friends. It wasn't even that God looked down the corridors of time and saw that Abraham would trust him and said, I will have grace on this man. There was nothing 
in Abraham that endeared him to God or commended him to the Lord. God chose Abraham. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord spake to Abraham purely by divine grace. Had the Lord not intervened in this man's life, what would have happened to him? We can't really say specifically what he would have done or what would have happened. But we would say that he would have continued in his sin and he would have ended up in a lost hell forever. And how could we briefly describe Abraham's experience? Friends, we could put it this way. God sovereignly and graciously reached into one of the many disobedient families of the world. And he called this one man to be his servant. It's as simple as that. God chose this man. God called this man. God revealed himself graciously to this man who was a sinner. God filled this man with his, with his spirit and he made him willing to obey. We don't read that Abraham went seeking after God. What did God do? God graciously condescended himself and he entered into a covenant relationship with one who was a mere sinner and perhaps a worshiper of false gods. And Christian, as we sit here today, we can relate to Abraham's experience. As we gather in the house of God this Lord's day to worship him, we ought to be mindful of this fact, that God has graciously reached into a sinful world. He has revealed himself to you. He has called you to be his child. He has called us to be his people. The scripture says that we are dead, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead to the things of God. We were by nature haters of God. The reality is, friends, that before we were even saved, if we were offered heaven on a plate, we would have chosen hell every single time. And we would have went to hell waving our fists at God because that's how sinful we actually are. There is nothing in us that could ever commend us to God There was nothing in us that would have caused us to find favor in God's eyes. Yet despite our many sins against him, he has saved us by his free grace. He was under no obligation to save us. He didn't owe us anything. Yet he looked down at us who were sinners and he chose to have mercy. Brethren and sisters in Christ, do you remember... That time in your life when you started to feel the burden of sin upon your shoulders? Do you remember those times in your life when you, for the first time, you desired to have Christ as your Savior? Do you remember those times that your thinking changed? All of a sudden you desired Christ. You desired His salvation. It wasn't that you turned around one day and you exercised some ability to change your will and you said, I will seek after God. What was that? That was God speaking to you through His Spirit. That was God revealing Himself to you as a God of salvation and drawing you to Himself. That was God graciously working in your heart and bringing you to Jesus Christ. It was all of grace. We ought not to pat ourselves on the back today and to congratulate ourselves and to boast in ourselves. 
That's why Joshua, as I mentioned earlier, he reminded the children of Israel who were prone to be very boastful and full of pride about their relationship uh, to the Lord. He was reminding them, you're descendants of idol worshippers. This is what you were before God intervened. And be mindful of that. He wanted to remind them of God's grace. And this is why today, dear friends, we ought to render thanks unto the Lord and unto the Lord alone for his grace in our lives. We didn't save ourselves. We could never save ourselves. We never would have the power to do it. It is by God's grace and God's favor that we are even here today as his people to worship him. And look also at what the Lord says to Abraham in the rest of verse 1. He says, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now God calls Abraham, and now that Abraham is God's child, God requires that he leave his country, that he leave his people, that he leave his father's house. God wanted Abraham to separate from his former life. He wanted Abraham to grow spiritually. And the only way this could be done would be through a radical break from his former life. God didn't just command him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to leave his family for the sake of doing it. He has a purpose in everything. And I'm sure this was a tough time for God's servant. To leave your home, to leave your country, to leave your own people, your family your security, and your comforts in order to really go on with God. And we read in verse 4 that Abraham obeyed God. And Christian, we ought to be willing to do whatever it takes to go on with God and to aid our spiritual growth, even if it is costly. We should be willing to obey. And brethren and sisters, you will know in your own heart today, as you examine your heart whether there is something or whether there is someone hindering your walk with God and your growth and grace, you will know. And you must be willing to break away from that thing because this is the call for every believer in Christ. What did the Savior say in Luke 9 and 23? He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We must be willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of Christ and for the sake of being more like Him. And we have to remember, Christian, that as we make sacrifices for God in this life, we don't make these sacrifices in vain. The Savior also says in Luke 18 and the verses 29 to 30, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. The point is this, that the sacrifices we make for the Lord may bring us a season of emotional pain and displeasure, but this is nothing compared to what awaits us in the world that is to come. And not only that, but God doesn't command us to do these things and to make these sacrifices without attaching promises to his commands. And this leads me to my second point concerning Abraham's first encounter with God. I want you to see, secondly, that there was a divine promise. If you glance there at Genesis chapter 12 and the verse 2 um, and the first half of verse 3, 
it says there, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. Now this is quite common in Scripture. When the Lord requires something of his people, or gives his people a command, quite often he attaches a promise to it. Now again, he is under no obligation to do so, because God can command us to do whatever he wants us to do without any recompense, because he is God, and we are his creatures. But he does so out of his free grace, and why is that? Because God has such an overwhelming willingness, whereby he wants to bless his people and shower upon them blessings. For example, In Matthew 11, in the verses 28 and 29, Christ issues two commands. He says, come unto me. He says, take my yoke upon you. But these commands are followed by promises. He says, I will give you rest. And he also says, ye shall find rest in your souls. He encounters uh, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 and 21. And he says, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. He commands him to do this, but then what does he do after? He says, thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And it's the same in Abraham's case. The Lord does make demands of Abraham, but the Lord alleviates what would have been pain and anxiety and heartache due to the sacrifices Abraham had to make. But what does God do? He imparts to him blessed promises. And there are four promises of God to Abraham here that he would make of him a great nation, that he would bless him, that he, was, that he would make his name great and make him a blessing, and that he would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. He was to leave his own people and his own country, but what did the Lord say? The Lord said, I will make you a father of a great nation. You will have millions of descendants, and they will be distinguished by the fact that God has set his love upon them. He was leaving behind the securities all of his life in error. But what does the Lord say? Abraham, I will bless you. And we read in the next chapter in verse 2, that Abraham prospered in his business endeavors. He was rich in cattle, silver, and gold. He was going to be a stranger in a strange land. But what did God say to him? He said, Abraham, I will make thy name great. And of course, we have already spoken in the introduction about what a great man of faith Abraham is and how we know him in the church. And the Lord has made him a blessing in that um, a multitude of people uh, would come from him, but from that multitude would come the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we read in Galatians 3 and 14? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. God has fulfilled these promises to Abraham. He didn't live to see them all, but we have seen them. We see them in the, we see it in the scriptures. And then God promises Abraham, who would have no shortage of enemies, that he will curse his enemies for his sake and bless his friends. And this is really a brief overview of what these promises entailed. But what is striking about these promises is this. That the Lord calls Abraham to make these sacrifices. But what does he do in turn? He promises Abraham that he will have things which are infinitely greater than what he is sacrificing. The Lord says, I will bless thee 
I will give you more than what you're giving up. Again, the Lord had no obligation to do this. But he did it out of his free grace. And he chose to deal with Abraham so tenderly. And this is why we read in verse 4 that Abraham was able to step out in faith. This is why he could willingly take up the cross in faith. Because he believed the promises of God. Even though he wouldn't see the fruits of them immediately. Or in some cases he wouldn't even see the fruits of them in his lifetime. He trusted the Lord. And he trusted the character of God. The one behind the promises. And Christian, this is why we can take up our cross daily. This is why we can make the sacrifices that we need to make to go on with God. This is why we can step out in faith today. This is why we can break away from many aspects of our life which can be costly because we do so in light of God's promises as his people. Now, these Abrahamic promises may not apply to us specifically, but the essence of them does. Because the Lord was essentially saying to Abraham, what you leave behind is nothing compared to the blessings you will receive. And when we step out in faith and obey God's will, God promises to bless us. He promises to honor us. God promises that he will bless others for our sake and through our prayers. And God promises that he will deal with our enemies. And God has given us consolation. Oh, we can leave people behind. We can leave things behind. But God has given us the consolation that we are part of a spiritual nation. We are part of the church of Christ. And what is the distinguishing thing or the distinguishing mark about the church of Christ in this world? It's that God has set his love upon it. And when you make sacrifices for the Lord, you remember you are one of his people. You're under his care and his protection. You're part of his church. And he has set his love upon you. That is a blessing in and of itself. And God will bless your friends for your sake. When you pray for God to have mercy upon your family, he will have mercy upon your family. When you pray for God to have mercy upon your friends, he will have mercy upon them. You think of Noah. God had mercy in Noah's family for the sake of his servant. These are the blessings that God gives to us as people. And when I think about the sacrifices we make for the Lord, it brings uh, to my mind a verse in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17. It says, Therefore our light affliction, which is, for, uh, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Remember the promises of God. Remember your future. You don't know what will happen tomorrow, but you know what will happen in the distant future. You will be with Christ, which is far better. And see, when you get to heaven and you see him, or he returns, you will say to yourself, it was all worth it. All of it, it was all worth it. And as we examine the second part of verse 3, it's evident that one of God's promises to Abraham was infinitely greater than these other promises. And this leads me to my third and final point concerning Abraham's first encounter with God. I want you to see that there was a divine prophecy. It says in the second half of verse 3, And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now this is the second prophecy concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture. 
The first was in Genesis chapter 3 and the verse 15, when God uh, expounded to the serpent the nature of the seed and the work of the seed who would uh, crush the serpent's head. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think that we can be in any doubt uh, that the words at the end of verse 3 of Genesis 12 uh, refer to and are a prophecy of the Savior. Martin Luther said concerning uh, the words of this verse that they should be written in golden letters and should be extolled in the languages of all people. For who else has dispensed this blessing among all nations except the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ? What does God do to Abraham? In the midst of his anxiety and his worry, not only does he give Abraham these blessed promises, but he leads Abraham to think about the Messiah, the one who would come in the future. Essentially, he leads Abraham to think about Christ. And friends, this is the reason that this promise is infinitely greater than God's other promises to Abraham. Because what we see here is literally an act of God intervening in human history. And setting in motion a plan of redemption for sinners. What was God doing when he called Abraham? When he spoke to him? When he revealed the Messiah to him? God was setting in motion his plan of salvation. And he was causing his plan to be outworked in human history. In order that he might deal with man's biggest problem. And that is the sin problem. And this redemptive plan and this promise... It would reach its peak, it would reach its apex at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on his birth into this sinful world. It's this promise, the promise of Christ above all others, which reveals the love and the mercy of God towards sinners. It was for their redemption. Now this idea of redemption comes from the world of commerce, and it signifies the setting free by payment of a price of something that is in bondage, and it applied mainly to the slave trade. And it is a truth to say, brethren and sisters in Christ, that we were in bondage to sin, that we were under the curse and the wrath of God, but in the redemption of our souls, the Savior has paid the price. He has offered himself to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. And what has this caused? This has caused sinners of the Jews, of Gentiles, a peculiar people. It has caused the people of Christ, who the Father gave to him out of every kindred and tongue and nation, to obtain this blessing of redemption. That's where it all started. Yes, it started in eternity past, in the mind of God, but in human history. This is where God starts to work it out. By intervening in the life of an idol worshiper and telling him, I will send one, and in him all families of the earth will be blessed. And it is this promise to Abraham of a Messiah that seals all of God's promises to his people. Because as you often hear, the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. It is based on Christ's redemption and his cross work, that we can have peace with God, that we can enjoy God's fatherly blessings and fatherly protection. It is based on Christ's redemption that God is pleased to reveal himself to us as a God of salvation and a God of peace to our souls. It is based on Christ's redemption that we are showered with innumerable, innumerable blessings from heaven. 
and that we will enjoy innumerable blessings in the celestial kingdom. And therefore, the promise of the seed of Abraham is infinitely greater than all other promises because it brings redemption and it sends all of God's promises to us, his people. Without him, without this promise, there is no peace with God. There is no promises. There are no promises of God. And believer in Christ, I spoke earlier of the things that may hinder us spiritually and the things that we need to cast off. I spoke about sin which may hinder us. I spoke about something you can identify in your heart or I can identify in my heart. But I want to encourage you today not to leave this house discouraged about your feelings before God. Don't, to use less formal language, beat yourself up about it. Don't linger in a state of despair over your sins and over your failures before God. What do you do today? You bring your weakness to the cross. You bring your weakness to Jesus Christ. You remember God's promise to Abraham. I will send one and he will deal with the sin problem. And he has paid the price for sin. And therefore, you ought not to be in despair. Because if you bring your sin to the cross, you find forgiveness and cleansing in the blood. What does 1 John 1 and 9 say? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Leave God's house encouraged today, knowing that despite our many failures as God's people, we are forgiven. And we can run to Christ, the one who was promised to Abraham, and we can find forgiveness and cleansing. And dear unsaved friend, you still dwell under the curse and the wrath of God today. You have not yet been called by God like Abraham was and like many in this service this morning have been. You are under the wrath and curse and you are on your way to hell. But remember the promise. God has sent one who has dealt with the sin problem. And you can come to him today and you can find forgiveness and cleansing from all of your sins. Let us all confess our sins before the Lord today. Let us all confess to him that we feel him and that we are not worthy. But let us go rejoicing, remember, remembering that Christ has fulfilled the law. He has done what we could never do. And he has paid the price for sin. And we go home washed and cleansed. And I think this is a good note to finish on this morning. To think of our blessed Redeemer who is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and who has redeemed us by his perfect, and his, his perfect life and his sacrificial death. He is the one who was the center of Abraham's hope in life and in death. And he is the one who is the center of our hope in life and death. And may our hearts and souls be blessed with thoughts of him today. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to all of our hearts for his glory. Amen.